Hey guys, David Eichel here for HawkeyeInsider.com. Just want to take a moment before this episode to tell you about our latest special. Get 60% off an annual subscription to HawkeyeInsider.com for the latest and greatest and most in-depth Iowa news, scoop, analysis, discussion, and much more. With a top three basketball team, a top 25 recruiting class, and a top 20 football team, an exciting wrestling team and women's basketball team as well. There is no better time to join HawkeyeInsider.com, the fastest growing community for Hawkeye athletic lovers. Go to HawkeyeInsider.com for all the details. HawkeyeInsider.com, David Eicholt, Swarmcast, along with Sean Bach. And Sean, we, we really, you know, it's been a very busy week. It's going to be a very, very busy weekend with a pair of Iowa basketball games and Obviously, Iowa's regular season finale against Wisconsin. But before we really dive in uh, to all of that, Sean, how, how have you been? I know school's actually winding down for you. Yeah, end of the semester, obviously. So trying to get all that stuff done. It hasn't been too bad. It's kind of just busy work. So it is what it is. But it's, yeah, it's just a busy time. That's for sure. Definitely is. But, uh, again, after the last seven months or so, it's actually good to be back. But, um you know, Sean, we didn't get a chance to recap Iowa's win against North Carolina, so I say we start there. I, I predict a double-digit victory for Iowa, but what I will say, there, there's a lot to take away from this game, I think, too, Sean. But I'll start right at the very top. I was looking to see how Iowa would start in that game, and it, it what stuck out to me was just how unafraid they were of the moment. And I'll say this, after re-watching the game a time or two, they probably played – the first 12 minutes or so is probably some of the most intense defense I've seen from Iowa, what, in the past three years at least? Yeah, I mean, there was good rotations. There was a lot of a lot of stuff to like there. I thought their closeouts were pretty good. Obviously, North Carolina is not really known for their three-point shooting, but I thought Iowa did a pretty overall, overall good job of, um, you know, closing out on those shooters on the perimeter and really not letting those guards get into the lane and kind of drive and kick or – driving pass off to one of the big men. And I thought Iowa's length at times disrupted North Carolina too. I know they shot 50% from the field overall, but North Carolina was also 13 of 27 on layups and dunks. So I think just that pressure at the rim that the Iowa big men and kind of all the Iowa defenders really, really gave um, North Carolina troubles at the rim. And, you know, I know that North Carolina – had 15 offensive rebounds, which is not a number that you certainly like if you're Iowa. But I think at the end, you kind of you look at how North Carolina was overall with their shooting inside, you know, three or four feet, and you're kind of you're kind of happy about that. Um, just because I thought they gave a lot of Iowa defense gave a lot of good resistance at the rim, and ultimately, you know, helped disrupt those shots and made it a little uncomfortable for for North Carolina. No, and I couldn't agree more. And I'll say this. I wrote an article yesterday about Roy Williams' comments about Luca Garza after the game. Look, I know Luca shot 6-20 from the field. Part of that was good defense, I thought, on North Carolina's part. But that's what you get when you get four big men, legit big men, rotating on Garza. So they have a fresh body on him every single time. But Garza missed some bunnies that he normally makes as well. But still had 16 points, had 14 boards, seven of which were offensive. Had four blocks, and like you mentioned, I think he's very really responsible for altering a lot of the shots in the paint. And I'll say this, too. I thought he did a great job of kicking out when he got double teamed. I mean, that led to a lot of Iowa threes. Maybe he didn't get the assist every time. A lot of hockey assists. I think about 
he kicked it back out to Connor McCaffrey. Connor would take one or two dribbles, penetrate a little bit, and then kick it back out to Jordan Bohan or C.J. Frederick for three. I mean, C.J. Frederick, Jordan Bohannon, and Joe Wieskamp, if they go 17 of 30, they're not going to lose many ball games. And the crazy part was a lot they, – they were good shots. I, I can't recall really Iowa taking that many poor three-pointers. And it was only a matter of time before I think we saw Jordan Bohannon really get going. But something that stuck out to me, Sean, that I don't think we've seen a lot from C.J. Frederick in his career, he was attacking uh, the, the paint. Pretty often, he had a pair of floaters, took a nice jumper to start off the game. If he can add that development to his game instead of being a, a catch-and-shoot three-pointer type of guy, I mean, again, I think that, you know, not that Iowa's offense is a problem by any means, but I think it further evolves this Iowa offense. And Connor McCaffrey didn't score. They didn't need him to score just based on how everyone else was playing. Right, and I think this is going to be – this is going to take out, like, the inner coach in me, but – Shot fakes, man. Like, those things are so important. I know Frederick got one to close the half. Wieskamp had a couple where it looks like he's bringing his feet off the ground, but he keeps his toes on the ground, which ultimately isn't a travel. I mean, it looks pretty – it looks close. Like, I feel like the refs could have made a couple calls here and there. Um, Obviously, would have been controversial, but by the rule, by the rule book, that's not a – that's not a travel. So, I thought with the way that – North Carolina started to really come out aggressively um, to close out shots, you know, with the way Iowa shot the ball. McCaffrey and Wies, or not McCaffrey, um, Frederick and Wieskamp especially, saw the way that they were closing out and noticed that, like, hey, like, we can use some shot fakes on these guys to, on these guys to get them, you mm-hmm. know, up in the air and then, you know, use a dribble and either take it closer to the rim or get more open three, and that's what they did. And I also thought that, you know, Wieskamp was really good when it came to driving to the bucket, I thought he looked a lot more comfortable taking it to the rim. And obviously, you know, the first couple games, like he had a couple good drives, but there were a few where you were like, Joe, like, what are you doing, man? Like he just looked out of control. But this time around, I thought he did a good job of finishing with his body, you know, finishing at the rim, Mm -hmm. um, blocking off the shot so that the, you know, the North Carolina big men couldn't get to it. And I thought he did a really good job. I thought, you know, defensively he was solid and, just the way how efficient he was on the offensive end. <clears throat> I had a couple of people asking, like, do you think this is the best Joe Wieskamp game in Iowa? And I said, you know, I think that's a very fair assessment. I think he had a couple, yeah. like one or two in the NCAA tournament two years back as a freshman. But obviously with the struggles that he had last season, kind of just the way he looked to start the season this year. I mean, I know that it wasn't as bad as last year, but he did start a little slow. But, you know, to see him hit that, to hit that stride and really take that step forward against North Carolina is really positive. I mean, we talked about Jack Nungy being the X factor, but I've always thought that a Joe Wieskamp would really be the X factor because, you know, he's that second guy behind Luca Garza that could shoot threes and, you know, spread the floor a little bit more. And if he's really connected on shots and add in this, you know, better job of attacking the rim and taking his man off the dribble like that's a very important step in any player's development and first confidence too because you know you could see defenders come out and get up in the air and try and contest his shot and go for a block but Wieskamp's smart enough to realize like okay I know I can hit down the shot and these guys are going to try and get up in the air and try and block my shot but I can just you know take one dribble and hit a mid-range jumper or step to the side and hit a three kind of like a James Harden type except not travel but 
I always, I thought he was <laughs> yeah. he was super effective, and if he can keep that consistency up, then I think the way with the way that Jabo and CJ play, that this Iowa team can be really tough to beat going forward. And I'll say this too, Sean. I'll pose this question to you. I don't disagree. I think maybe there's one or two other games that maybe Joe played quote unquote better in. I thought this was his best game he's ever put on film in terms of trying to get in the NBA. I thought this was by far his best NBA film. He was aggressive on the glass, had a couple big offensive rebounds, dished out five assists, was aggressive, you know, hit the three, sidestep three, catch and shoot, had 19 points on seven to 12. I thought it was just a very complete game by Joe. And like you said, it just with the way the ball was moving to – and the different display of skill that Joe showed, he looked competent driving in the paint. And I think at times last year and even, you know, a couple of games before, like you said, I think it maybe it was a lack of confidence, but he attacked. It was full-on attack mode mentality. And I think that really did make a big difference. And it takes that type of mentality to drive against North Carolina when you look at who they have on the interior. Because I'll say this, not to talk too much about North Carolina's personnel, but Dayron Sharp, I think, is going to be a very, very dominant player in the ACC, and he's going to be a future pro. I was very impressed by him. He got in foul trouble, but he had 13-6 in like 15 minutes. I mean, he was really, really good. But I think we need to mention this again, Sean, and I, I give you a lot of credit because you were kind of hammering home this point preseason, and I kind of – it took me a minute to kind of catch up to you on it, and I, I did agree, though, before the season – Keegan Murray, I mean, what more can you really say about him? He's just such a good fit for this Iowa team, and I think he had two or three of the biggest spark plug plays of the game, whether it be the block on one end, and I think maybe the single most important play of the game, which was that tip-in heading in that timeout when he got the end one. Yeah, his play was really crucial for Iowa. Um, there's no doubt about it. I I personally thought coming into the season that, you know, He'll be able to provide more depth at the 3-4, which he has, but it's given me more with his shooting ability and his ability to score rather than with his defense and rebounding and his length. But obviously we've seen this year that defense and rebounding have his have been his most – like that's where he's really fit in and that's where he's really gelled. And yeah. I think people see that potential with him as kind of that glue guy or not necessarily glue guy, but just a spark plug off the bench in terms of his effort on defense and the way he was able to fight for some loose balls, had some hustle plays. But I think once he gets more comfortable with the offense and, you know, once you're a freshman, you kind of you kind of get afraid to shoot sometimes. I think once he gets some open looks and once he really starts becoming, in you know, one of more comfortable within the Iowa offense, then that's going to really make his importance and to this team that much bigger and it can help expand his role too. Because his best trait coming into Iowa was his shooting ability and his ability to score. And with the way that he's played defense and the way he's rebounded and the way he's made puzzle plays as kind of a, you know, 10-minute guy off the bench, like that's going to be so – like his ceiling for Iowa and just the way he can impact the game is, is very high and really promising for the future. Definitely. And, Sean, I feel like we could sit here and break this down for a, lo a lot longer than we'll actually be able to, but – I think this is a very good sign for Iowa to legit, you know, just to show people on the outside that this is, I'm not going to go final four. I did write final four potential. I still think you need, I need to see a little bit more growth as far as defense goes, but a couple of quick positives. I want to, I want to note. North Carolina did out rebound Iowa 47 to 38. 
But given North Carolina's track record this season of averaging, you know, out-rebounding teams by 18, I thought that was a step in the right direction for Iowa. Another thing was Iowa, quote-unquote, forced 18 North Carolina turnovers, turned that into 23 points. And Iowa's taking care of the ball, Sean. I mean, I think that this was their season high for turnovers, and it was only 11, and they only allowed North Carolina to score nine points off it. And it was interesting to me, too, that Iowa actually had more second-chance points than North Carolina. Iowa had, I believe it was 14 offensive rebounds, 14 offensive rebounds that turned into 21 second-chance points. Those are winning numbers. And I think something that stuck out to me about the postgame was I think it was Jordan Bohannon, but he said, look, we know we're not going to be elite defensively, but if we can string together two or three, four or five-minute stretches of where we aren't allowing buckets and our offense is consistent that's what's going to win us games and it, it was just a kind of made it, it just kind of helped me take a step back and really look at this team and say you know what that's a really good point but it also puts a lot of pressure on Iowa's offense to continue doing what they're doing but so far this season I don't see a sign of them slowing down they're confident they're experienced they're veteran but ultimately defense and rebounding are going to be what determines how good this Iowa team can be. Yeah, and I posted on Twitter too right after the game that that lineup of, I think it was Joe Toussaint, Keegan Murray, was it J-Bo or was it Frederick? I think it was Frederick. Yeah, and then Garza. Um, When North Carolina really started to, you know, make a run, then those guys helped push that lead further and really gave Iowa more cushion. I think they went on an 11-2 run with over a span of a minute and 30 seconds, which really bust things open for Iowa and, you know, gave them that extra cushion. And what they did there is, like, obviously they had Keegan Murray come off the bench and make some energy plays, but they strung stops together, looked good in transition, and hit shots that they need to on the offensive end. And those stops on defense, too, were so critical because North mm-hmm. Carolina came out that half really, really guns a blaze and hit a couple threes, made a couple of nice shots, had a couple of nice drives you know, made just made plays. And it kind of seemed like the game was going towards North Carolina a little bit. But then Iowa, that 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 stretch right there was really critical for him. And, it, and it's to the point that Jabo said is that with just the defense putting together stops and then offense too, making sure they're hitting shots, connecting on everything and getting to a groove and really kind of, you know, making those key runs that you need to really make a difference in the game. And that's what they did there. And I'll say this before we wrap this up and go on to our football preview. I think the biggest problem I had with Iowa's defense against North Carolina, I think their half-court defense is actually pretty all right. They were letting some of their guys take threes, but their closeouts were still better. And again, North Carolina is not exactly a team that's going to kill you from three, at least at this point in the season. But Iowa's transition defense has to be better because I'm thinking ahead here, Sean, but if you go against Gonzaga – I mean, they could absolutely kill Iowa with that transition offense. And granted, their half-court offense might be the best in the country as well. But Iowa, if they're going to want a chance in that game, they're going to have to limit that. I mean, North Carolina had 24 fast-break points as opposed to Iowa's six. And a lot of it was their fast-break points were just off-made buckets. They were getting down the floor quick, and it paid dividends to them in some aspects. But I, again, I think it was a very, it's a very good win. It's a confidence-instilling win in them. And I, I think the attitude post-game by Iowa just shows what they're trying to do. Like, yeah, they had a celebration in the locker room or whatever, but 
you talk to Joe, you talk to Jordan, you talk to Luca. They just said, we expected to win this game. We're at home. We think we're one of the best teams in the country on the next one. And I think that, as opposed to the past couple of years, they were talking more celebratory. And not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just two different approaches. But that's something that really stuck out with me. I really feel like this group right now is very locked in on what they have to do. And I think also it helps that there's it's a rivalry game on Friday against Iowa State. We'll get into that in a bit. But the, the team's still locked in. I think just the, the mental toughness of this team, as you mentioned, when North Carolina took that lead in for them to respond with, I think it was a 14-0 or 16-2 run, I, I think that speaks volumes to what this Iowa team's trying to be all about. Yeah, without a doubt. They got, they got the talent. They got, you know, if they can just put it defensively, put together defensively, then that's going to be critical. I mean, we saw it a couple times too. I think it was – I forgot who made – I think it might have been a, uh, a Luca Garza layup where he made the layup, pretty strong layup, but then UNC just ran down the court. And yep. Iowa's transition defense did not offer much resistance. And, you know, that's going to be – that's going to be tough, I think. I think that's going to be a, something that they need to work on at times. Now I know that North Carolina really, really stresses ha- or transition offense, which makes it tough. But I mean, I think I think they got to you know fix some minor things like that, and this this team will be able to put that stuff together because I think they got the guys that can that can do it and make an impact on defense. So it'll definitely be interesting to see how they kind of improve in in those categories, and they got the chances this weekend to really do that before the Gonzaga game. Yeah, and again, I know we mentioned this earlier, but it's still worth repeating. Gonzaga is currently on – their program's currently on pause through December 14th. Their next game will be against Iowa, so they've got plenty of time uh, to watch film on their own time. But, Sean, we'll, we'll talk about Iowa State Northern Illinois just for a little bit at the end of the podcast, but I think it's time we dive into Iowa, uh, Iowa and Wisconsin, the regular season finale. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll preview it all right here on the Swarmcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, Sean, big game, obviously, this weekend. Iowa riding a five-game winning streak. And Wisconsin, fresh off, I believe it was the 14-6 to loss against Indiana. Jack Tuttle looks like he's going to be a very good replacement uh, for, for, for Michael Penix. But let, let's dive into this Wisconsin team. Obviously, Wisconsin has dominated the series in the, over the past decade. They've won seven in the last eight. Iowa's own victory coming in 2015 when – Wisconsin fumbled the ball, I believe, at the one-yard line. And Iowa just – I think they tripped over their own uh, – his running back's foot or something. I haven't been able to rewatch the play. But it was just one of those – it's football-type games. But uh, Iowa did pull out that win. But I think it's a very big game, Sean, just in terms of trying to get rid of the Wisconsin curse. But I, I, it's kind of hard to get a real scouting report on this Wisconsin team because just the year 2020, they've obviously had their own – COVID struggles. They've only played in four games this season, but uh, I do think that Iowa's going to come out pretty fired up for this one. Yeah, and I I think one, a couple people asked on our message board, just being like, hey, do you think 
Wisconsin's gonna, you know, throw the white flag for raise the white flag for this game because with the way they played, obviously lost their past last two games to Northwestern Indiana and have have had, you know, struggles with COVID. I mean, I know was it two of the games haven't been directly to them? I think it was only one. I think it was only one as well. Yeah. It was only one of the games that like, you know, they had the they had the outbreak within their program. So I think I think Wisconsin would love nothing more than to take to, you know, turn the season around and knock off Iowa for what, the fifth straight year. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's definitely going to be a tough test. I think this Wisconsin team is a little different than it was in years past because, you know, you we've seen with Wisconsin the past is that they've had established positions on offense, you know, running back. Obviously, that hasn't been the case this year ever since Jonathan Taylor left. I think they've had a couple running backs have gone – or have been like you know taking more snaps. Um, Nikia Watson has taken 102 snaps through four games. Jalen Berger, true freshman who's actually listed as a starter now, has taken 87 snaps. And Garrett Groshek as well has taken 103 snaps. So it's it's different because with Wisconsin, we've seen they've had one back for the most part. I mean, sometimes they'll use two backs just to give the other guy a break, but it's primarily one lead back and that doesn't seem to be the case this year. And with quarterback too, obviously with Jack Cohn going down, Graham Mertz set the world on fire in his first game against Illinois, but the offense for Wisconsin really hasn't gotten that boost or that energy that they've needed to win these last two games. I I forget how much exactly they had against Northwestern, but I think they had like six points against, against uh, Illinois. So the offense has kind of been looking for that spark, and I think maybe it, it, putting – They had six against Indiana. The first game, the Illinois thing was the five passing touchdowns. Graham Mertz only had one incompletion. Right. I'm talking about how many points they have for, against Northwestern, though. Oh, yeah, that was 17-7. Okay. Yeah, so they haven't scored more than seven points in the last two games. So I think maybe putting Jalen Berger back there would be maybe add a boost a little bit. I think he was a high floor star guy out of New Jersey in the 2020 cycle. Yeah. Um, and Graham Mertz, obviously with the way that he's played, I think this offense needs a boost. And it doesn't help you that the, he doesn't have much help at wide receiver. Jake Ferguson at tight end has probably been one of the best tight ends in the country this year. But I think if you're missing some wide receivers, then that doesn't really help. That doesn't really help your case. Obviously, Danny Davis won't be playing. He's not expected to play against um Iowa on Saturday they've gotten a nice boost from Jameer Diki I think that's how you say his name uh true freshman receiver but he's not an every down guy um who else who else am I missing Kendrick Pryor I don't believe he's played the past few or he played against Indiana but he didn't play against Northwestern mm-hmm. so it's kind of just been a weird year offensively for them they've they've had wide receivers in the past I know they had you know they had Quintez Cephas last year Danny Davis was solid, and then they had a pretty consistent quarterback in Jack Cohn, but he hasn't been around this year. I thought I think Graham Mertz is the guy, the future guy for them, but I don't. I mean, it doesn't just it doesn't help if you don't have the guys around them that can make those types of plays, like like a Quintess Cephas esque guy. Just that downfield threat for Wisconsin, like Danny Davis yeah. to score a touchdown against Iowa in each of the past two games, and. Again, it's so tough to get a read on this Wisconsin team, but here's what you're going to always get with Wisconsin. Tough in the trenches, 
you're going to get a hard-nosed defense, which this year is no exception, even though they're 2-2. Two and two. And granted, this is only through four games. It's different for every team, so stats only can mean so much. It's still worth noting they are number two in the country in scoring defense, 12.2, number one in total defense, number one in rushing defense, and number one in passing defense, and number seven in passing effic- uh, defensive passing efficiency. So, I mean, this Wisconsin team still – you know, they stick to their roots. They have a hard-nosed defense. And another stat that sticks out, they're averaging nearly 39 minutes time of possession, which is number one in the country. So Iowa's defense is going to have to try to get off the field quick. I think Iowa's going to have to run the football effectively. I feel like we're preaching the same thing week after week. But, we, you know, I think it's important to still take the pressure off of Spencer Petras as much as they can. And we talked about it a little bit in the post-game podcast, Sean. We'll have to dive into it now. But, I mean, I think this is a big game for Spencer Petras. And I'm saying that in terms of I'm very interested to see how he bounces back. Not bounces back, but if he can build off those final three-quarter performances he had against Illinois. Again, in the final three quarters, he went 17-25 to 25 for 211 yards and three touchdowns through some beautiful touchdown passes, his first multi-touchdown game of his career. But, again, Wisconsin's defense is never easy to move the ball. But the one thing that I'm interested in seeing as well is, again, what it's so tough to actually go off the of stats, but Wisconsin is actually negative in the turnover margin. And Iowa right now is number nine in the country, plus 1.14 and Wisconsin's 100th in the country. So if Iowa could take care of the ball and if they can force some bad turnovers, we'll see what happens. Graham Mertz, obviously, like you said, set the world on fire against Illinois. Since then, I believe he's thrown four interceptions and only another three touchdowns. So it'll be interesting to see if Iowa's defensive front can actually put pressure on Mertz and just try to rattle his confidence early and often. Yeah, and I know, too, what you talked about toughness. And with Wisconsin's defense, their defense has been pretty good the past two weeks, especially. Linebackers, where it all starts, Jack Sanborn is a name that I think Iowa people or Iowa fans will recognize. Leo Chanel has been good at linebacker this year. Isaiah Loudermilk has been really productive in the trenches. CJ Getz, I, I don't, I'm probably botching some of these names, has been good defensively, pretty good with tackling, good in the, with the run. Um, and Caesar Williams as well has been probably their best coverage guy at defensive back. So, I mean, the defense has overall been solid. They haven't really had much change there, not really much, you know, different lineups or anything like that. Obviously with COVID and stuff, that's kind of affected things. But I think overall this this Wisconsin team has been really, really consistent on the defensive end. And I'm interested to see how they do or how Iowa's offense goes up against them because – I, Wisconsin always seems to have Iowa's number when it comes to offense. I think last year we were like, okay, like Iowa has a different dynamic this year. Their offense got a very good running back in Tyler Goodson that can make plays downfield, probably have their best receiver group in the last 10 years. And Iowa put up a good fight, but the offense really never seemed to get much going. And then a couple of years ago with the, uh, with the whole Josh Jackson game, up there in Madison where I was only two touchdowns where Josh Jackson interception returns mm-hmm. and Nate Stanley probably played arguably his worst game against Wisconsin. Um, so I'm interested to see if Spencer Peters can uh, turn 
turn the turn the tides with the way that quarterbacks Iowa quarterbacks or the way Nate Stanley has played against Wisconsin and kind of get some of those revenge wins for Nate because you know we talked about that Nate Stanley was three and zero against as a starter against Minnesota Iowa State and Nebraska but he was zero and three against his home state Badgers so if Petrus can kind of get that tide going or kind of change everything um, in that regard I think I think. Uh, Nate Stanley would be a pretty pretty happy camper with that. Yeah, no doubt. And I want to make a slight correction, too, about Graham Mertz's stats. In the last two games, he's thrown one touchdown to four interceptions, and he's also been sacked six times. So they really don't have a lot of confidence right now back there. But I will say this. You already mentioned Jalen Berger. Jalen Berger, he's going to be a really good back for Wisconsin. I know, big shocker. But – he, he is a very high ceiling. I loved his film coming out of high school, and now he's actually starting to get the opportunities to go back and show what he can do. And I'm very interested to see how early and how often they go to him. A couple more stats about this Wisconsin team. They've only forced three fumbles in four games, and they only have six sacks in four games. But as I mentioned, they're ranked number one in, in the country in multiple categories. But, yeah, I – it's an interesting thing, Sean. I want your opinion on this because I'm not quite sure where to go with this, but who's the pressure really on right now? Is it on Iowa because they've won five straight games in the regular season or is it on Wisconsin because they've won seven of the last eight against Iowa in the series? That's a pretty good question because I think it's on Iowa, honestly, because I think if Iowa wins out, in the regular season or this, I think they'd win this game and then win in their big 10 West, big 10 East Jamboree or whoever they end up playing in that, then they have a very realistic chance at going to a New York six bowl. I don't know which one yet, but I think that puts them in the best position to do so, or maybe even like an outback or music city bowl, which I think they'll probably go for sure if they lose at least one of these games. But this is the taking that extra step to go to a new year six bowl. I know it's been a weird a weird year, but I think all things considered, you look at how this team started and now how they finish, and that would just be quite the turnaround for Kirk Ferentz's team, which we've seen before. I mean, we've seen in the past countless years, Iowa starting things out slow, not winning or winning a game, winning game or losing games that they should have, then they go on to win games that they shouldn't have. I think this is a case where they should win this game, but also, you know, it's Wisconsin who has beaten Iowa seven of the last eight times. And they just bring a different dynamic that we've seen or that we have, or that Iowa hasn't seen compared to some of the other teams that they played and just some of the questions that they have. And Paul Kirst always seems to have Ference's number and that defense has done a really good job. But I honestly think just because of what's at stake for Iowa in this game, not only snapping the winning streak, but also you have a chance of playing in a New Year's Six Bowl, which was not a very high possibility after two games earlier this year. No, definitely. And I, I haven't agreed with you now. I think I think the pressure is on Iowa because 2020 is just such a weird year and Iowa is still trying to build the momentum for the future. And I think a win against Wisconsin is a great step even for next season. I mean, you, we already saw that Iowa, you know, jumped the hurdle that was Penn State because Penn State, I believe, had beaten Iowa six straight times. But – just the rivalry in general. I feel like Iowa fans, if they could pick any opponent to beat in the, in the beginning of the season, who do you think they're picking? I think the majority of them are picking Wisconsin. Yeah, without a doubt. So I think just from a morale standpoint and everything like that, I think this is a huge game from that standpoint. But I'll say this as well. 
I think that this game, again, I, I'm going to go back Spencer Petrus. I'm very interested to see how he comes out because I think this defense is different than anything he's seen all season. Just with the way they're so fundamentally sound, they're so just technically sound, the 3-4 three, uh, the three, defense, the way they use their linebackers, the way they disguise their blitzes, it's different from anything he's seen. So is he going to get rattled under the pressure or is he going to be able to audible out of plays? So he can be able to recognize uh, pre-snap reads. Is he going to go through his progressions? Because one of the biggest things I saw that I, he improved on last week, he went through his progressions. You saw him survey the field, which sounds like such a basic tool. But with the way he'd been locking on receivers in the earlier part of the season, it was a really good step in the right direction for him to be able to do that. And on top of that, he trusted his receivers to make plays in one-on-one coverage, he trusted Brandon Smith. He trusted Emir Smith-Marset. And I think that goes, that goes a long way. And it, 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 I'm just – there's so much storylines to this. And, again, I think the biggest thing is can Iowa actually beat Wisconsin because just the way they've dominated the series over the past decade. But talked enough about the offense, Sean. Let's flip to the defense. Davion Nixon's got to be an All-American, right? He's got to be first or second team with the way he's playing, right? Yeah, definitely. And his draft stock is continuing to go up. I've talked to a couple NFL guys over the past few weeks, and they've said, why have you not told us about this guy earlier? <laughs> so, yeah, he's been he's been great. I mean, he is he's had a couple scouts looking at him, um, obviously NFL teams looking at him, and he's going to be – that's really going to be an interesting storyline after the season because if he returns on this Iowa defensive front, could be looking really strong for next year. At least, you know, with Nixon back, obviously that's going to be the case. But I think even with some of the guys that will leave, likely, I mean, Jack Heflin and Zach – or not Zach Van Valkenburg, Chauncey Golson, and, yeah, I mean, Van Valkenburg too. This is his last year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they, I mean, I think it is, but here's the thing. It wouldn't surprise me if Heflin and Van Valkenburg came back. It really wouldn't. But that, that yeah. could be a topic for another day, too. But, I, I mean, Jack Heflin grew up a long-time Iowa fan. He's shown some nice things this year, but maybe one more year, and he has maybe he gets drafted. Because right now, I don't know if he gets drafted. I mean, I just don't think he's athletic enough. But if he can come back and show one more good year on film, I think that'd go a long way. But I, I know you just touched on this. The NFL scouts are really starting to be high on Davion Nixon. Look, I, I'll tell people this. Enjoy the last two games. Because I think the dude's going to go get paid. I think, I think he's a second-round pick at this point. I think he could be trending toward a late first-round pick if he continues to do what he does in the last two games. And if there's an NFL combine, I think there's a very good chance he goes very, very high in the draft. Yeah, I mean, I know Davion's not the type of guy to really fall in love with like draft projections or like look forward. But I think maybe he's looking at the AJAP and that's the situation where – Correct me if I'm wrong, but no, AJ, AJ left. He left after his, uh, he didn't have any more, or he, that was the first year he could leave. Yes. Yes. Okay. He's looking at who, who am I thinking of? Maybe like it does. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say directly to Dredsman King's situation, but. You're talking about if he comes back and he gets doubled and his draft stock falls. Right, right, right. Yeah. And that's the thing, yeah. too. The Desmond King situation was so weird because he actually played just as good his senior year as he did his junior year, but nobody would throw the ball toward him. And right. It is an interesting point, though, because AJ, 
the thing was, I don't know what AJ could have done different if he came back. I thought there was a chance he would come back, and I think he was legitimately close to returning. But then you saw where he ended up in, in the NFL draft. But it, it's he just has short those, arms. Yeah, which is, you know, it is what it is at that point. But, yeah, I, look, I, I think he's gone. I know a lot of people might want to think differently. I mean, I think he very well could be a first-team All-American and maybe win one of these Defensive Lineman of the Year awards. And if that happens, he has to go. I mean, I think he has to go at least. But continuing on, I think we need to talk about this, just highlight some of this. I know we'll have plenty of time to project if guys come back or not. It's a really weird year. Matt Hankins, I think, is a candidate to return because I just don't know if there's enough on film for him to really – Go middle of the NFL draft. I think he'd be a late pick at this point. Maybe go undrafted. Nick Neiman, I think it's a good decision for him to go. He's played very well this year. I believe he's second in the Big Ten tackles. I just don't know what more he could accomplish by returning. Chauncey Golston, I think, is gone. And a little bit surprising to me, Sean, Keith Duncan actually already said that he's going to move on. I really thought he was going to come back for his sixth year. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I feel like he's ready and – you know, maybe some of the guys, some of the guys behind him are coming up. Who knows? But it is what it is. It's it's tough. But I think a lot. I think people talk about how that whole extra year or this this being a free year is going to be a huge difference in college football. But I think a lot of people are kind of like, you know what? I'm like a little. I'm kind of ready to move on. Like, yeah, not just football, but like even like other jobs, like maybe walk-ons or guys that don't really plan to pursue an NFL career are kind of like, you know what? Like I'm, I'm just ready to go. Like I'm ready to start my job. I'm ready to start my life, but I could be wrong, but that just seems to be the vibe I'm getting. Yeah. I mean, like you said, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Some guys are just ready to move on with their life. And it's not that they don't love the program. or love the experience, but they just, they want to take that next step. And that's where the, all these decisions are going to be really interesting too. Again, I think Matt Hankins has a shot returning. Chauncey Golston, again, is gone. We could go up and down the list. Van Valkenburg and Heflin, I think, are two very legitimate decisions. But if I'm not mistaken, Van Valkenburg will already have his master's degree by the end of this year. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. He's a very, very smart kid. But, you know, like you said, Sean, it'll be interesting to see how Wisconsin's offense matches up against Iowa's defense. Iowa's gone 21 straight games now, allowing 25 points or less. I see that trend continuing just because I don't see enough of that explosion from this Wisconsin offense. It's not a typical Wisconsin offense. With that being said, if they can reload and get some guys in that wide receiver room that are going to develop, and even if they could just get healthy, I feel like they've been nicked up a lot this year on both sides of the ball, but they just find a way to be effective, especially on the defensive end. Because I think Mertz is a future all-conference quarterback. He's, he's legit. Um, and Jalen Berger's legit, and their line plays can be very, very good. But this Iowa defense for entering the season without really having a star on the team, they've done a phenomenal job of recovering after the first two weeks and really playing like one of the best defenses in the country with the way they've been able to force turnovers, bending and not breaking, not allowing explosive plays. Uh, there's a lot to like about this matchup. And again, it's just so tough to actually predict what's going to happen just because of how weird of a year it's been and the fact we haven't really seen Wisconsin that much on film uh, and the, the, the shuffling of the pieces and everything like that. But, Sean, I got to be honest, I don't know who I'm picking yet. Do you have a clue? I, I kind of want to take a cop-out answer and go with what you say. Like, I'm not picking 
Wisconsin. I'm not picking Iowa until they beat Wisconsin. And I think that's a very safe, very safe thing to do. Um, but I'm going to give Iowa – I'm going to go 17-14, Iowa. I think I I believe for the Wisconsin site, I put 23-20 Wisconsin. And like yeah, you, you said, I, 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 had, I had already said I – just until – I think Iowa's the better football team. But Spencer Petras has to show up, and he has to take that next step. He has to show what he did last week uh, in the final three quarters. But – Tyler Goodson's going to be the X factor. Can they run the football? Can they take pressure off? And can Iowa get Graham Mertz flustered in the pocket? Because we've seen him make some questionable decisions, especially in the past two games with four interceptions. And I think the Iowa defense is good enough that they can take advantage of that. And the other thing is, which is important to note, Wisconsin cannot flip the field. Their punter is only averaging about 38 yards per punt. Of course, they're not forced to punt very often, but, uh, it, it, again, it'll be very interesting to see if Charlie Jones maybe is a spark. Maybe Amir Smith-Marset in the kickoff return game actually breaks one because we have not seen him have a really big return at all yet this season. Uh, granted, there are a couple of games where guys weren't kicking to him and whatnot, but I think this Iowa team matches up very well against Wisconsin. I think if there is a year that Iowa is going to break the streak against Wisconsin, it's probably this year just based off the experience, based on Iowa playing more, based on health, based on the fact it's in Kinnick. And it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how much the snow impacts the game because there are rumors that it's going to be snowing. And Keith Duncan, of course, once they said that post game. But, again, as far as decisions regarding the, the, the seniors go, we'll keep updated at HawkeyeInsider.com. But, Sean, you picked Iowa. I picked, I picked Wisconsin. We'll see what happens. We'll have a post-game podcast on Saturday to recap what's sure to be a very typical slugfest between Iowa and Wisconsin because I'll say this. I don't see a way either team runs away at the game. I think this is going to be in single digits. Am I right, Sean? Yeah, I definitely think that's that's very likely. So, uh, anyway, we're going to take a quick time out here, one more, and then we're going to dive into Iowa-Iowa State very quickly before we wrap things up. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So, Sean, some interesting kind of breaking news uh, regarding the Iowa State-Iowa game. And maybe it's kind of it's to be expected, but I still think it's noteworthy. Uh, our own Michael Swain at uh, Cyclone Alert is reporting that Trey Jackson is going to miss this uh, game against Iowa. He sustained the left knee injury during practice and was expecting to miss two or three weeks, but his timetable for a turn was hovering around this game. But uh, he, he, he's not going to be playing. And let's just quickly dive in this Iowa-Iowa State matchup. And it, it's kind of crazy just to see where Iowa State's at right now and where Iowa's at. But, you know, I, I think this matchup, to say the least, it, it's very much in Iowa's favor. 
Yeah, without a doubt. And I want to say coming into these games, um, Rival, I mean, score, records go out the window, in my opinion, here. I think I think Iowa has a good chance of winning by double digits, but I also think Iowa State's not going to let it get too out of hand because, I mean, we've seen the way that Iowa State has struggled this year, obviously with some of the losses that they've had or with the loss that they had to South Dakota State. I mean, don't get me wrong. South Dakota State is a, is a very good mid-major program, but I don't think you should be losing those games at home. Um, the Arkansas Pine Bluff game, like, I mean, Iowa State had the advantage of that basically the whole way. I mean, it was close. I will say it was close the first half. I think Pine Bluff had a lead at one point, or they were winning at halftime. But then Iowa State just pulled away in the first 10 minutes of the of the second half, and the rest was history there. But, yeah, as Iowa State team, I mean, on paper, I mean, it's tough to lose Tyrese Halliburton for sure. But on paper, like – it's just not a good – it just doesn't seem like a great situation. Just, I guess, the lack of, you know – I don't I don't really know what to say here. Like, lack of – it just seems like there's just a, something missing there that can't – that's going to take a lot to be replaced. I mean, Rashir Bolton's a very good offense player. Javon Johnson has been solid. But, yeah, I think losing losing Trey is going to be – is going to be big for them. But, yeah, I definitely think Iowa, just matchup-wise, this, this is a bigger – this is a much more favorable matchup for Iowa than North Carolina was just because Iowa state is not as long. They got some guys on the perimeter, but I think Garza has a really good chance of, of dominating this game. Yeah. unlike he did last game. Yeah. And I think Garza's going to come out, you know, pretty ticked off after what happened against North Carolina. Again, I thought he played well, but six of 20 and, you know, Garza's level of, you know, his work ethic and, his expectations for himself because he said there's nobody more critical of me than me. He's going to come out. They really haven't gotten much productivity from the five spot. I, I, like you said, they're not as big. They're not as long. And I think Garza can very well get him in foul trouble. And if that happens, we might see some Xavier Foster. And just from a, a matchup perspective and the way those you know two guys' games kind of match up, it's going to be Garza all day down low. And I'll say this, another couple of things that stand out to me about this team. Iowa State's slow starts. I mean, they have not started off a game well yet. They've had to play great basketball at times just to get back into the game. And I really don't see them going on a giant run against Iowa. And right now, their defense has been below average, to say the least. And with Iowa's offensive capabilities, unless Iowa's just breaking open shots like we saw against Nebraska last year, last January – I don't know. I, I, I really think Iowa can hit triple digits in this game, Sean. I, I, I think Iowa can have 15 or more threes. I think Garza could go for 30. But as you mentioned, records go out the window. It's a rivalry game. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Iowa only wins this game by 12. It wouldn't surprise me if Iowa won by 25 or more, just based on what I've heard and what I've seen about this Iowa State team. And if Iowa is going to be, you know, I'll say – the term hangover from from North Carolina are they gonna be too high on themselves or are they gonna come out with that same level of intensity that we saw for the first 12 minutes against North Carolina with how veteran how experienced this team is I don't think so and on top of that Iowa does not like Iowa State like I know that's very stereotypical but Iowa's players do not like Iowa State look at Jordan Bohannon what he did last year with signing the shoes Connor McCaffrey and Patrick McCaffrey aren't exactly shy about 
<laughs> about their dislike of Iowa State. I, I think you go up and down the roster, all the Iowa natives, they don't like State, and I think they're going to take this game very personally. Without a doubt. And I, this is going to be my last point, but I think I'll be interested to see how much Iowa goes to zone in this game. I know a lot of people yeah. are probably going to be frustrated with that or thinking like, oh, my gosh, like zone doesn't work. And, I mean, it really hasn't been good this year for Iowa zone-wise. But you look at you look at Iowa State, 220th and three-point percentage. Um, uh, free, free throw – or sorry, I got text and got confused. Um, <laughs> and then offensive rebounding percentage, 226. And as I've said before, it's and people have said, it's a, it's a lot tougher to – or to rebound out of his own. And especially with the way Iowa State's been missing from three, like those are prone for long rebounds. And I mean, Iowa did a better job of rebounding against North Carolina than we than we really give them credit for, in my opinion, at least to start out Agreed. the game with the way they boxed out. Like you could see it from the beginning that they really made a priority to box out. But I think if they could try and go zone, because I know Fran wants to switch up the defenses a little bit. And with the way that the zone played on – the other day against North Carolina, I think a lot of people, I think Frank kind of wants to get some more confidence with it or wants to get some more in-game work with it. So I think that'll be something to watch as this game progresses. I mean, I bet Iowa comes on man, but I wouldn't be shocked to see them go to a zone here and there and see how that works. Yeah, and all, all, like you said, my last quick point, I mean, you look at their starting lineup, talk about Iowa having a size advantage. Here's this probable, probable starters for Iowa State. Six three, six four, five nine, six six, six eight. I mean, this should be a big Jack Nungy, big Luca Garza game in the middle. See, uh, Joe Wieskamp probably should have some success driving in. And if they're if they're gonna have to double team Garza, otherwise Garza's going for forty, in my opinion. And if they do, Garza, I thought passed the ball fantastic against North Carolina, and Iowa's gonna get plenty of open three opportunities. But I'll be I'll be at Carver Hawkeye tomorrow night. Give you all the recap about that obviously Iowa takes on Northern Illinois on Sunday and then the big one and then they gear up for Gonzaga they'll have six days which is great for them five six days to actually be able to gear up and prepare for that but uh, we'll have plenty of more coverage at HawkeyeInsider.com be sure to follow Sean on Twitter at sbock247 myself at David Eichel but uh, Sean I guess we'll end it on this final prediction for Iowa Iowa State I think Iowa wins 90 275. I'm going to say Iowa hits triple digits since they could score 93 against North Carolina. I'm going to go Iowa 102, Iowa State 78. I think Iowa finds a way to be able to run away with it. But, uh, yeah, that's going to do it for us. We'll be back on Saturday to recap Iowa's game against Wisconsin. We'll probably sprinkle in some Iowa-Iowa State post game as well. But uh, until then, we'll talk to you later. You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If. Ready PG.